Hey y'all, it's K-Bird Tweets, and this is Peace, Love, and Baseball. I'd like to start today's episode off with a moment of silence for my espresso machine. And by moment of silence, I mean the inevitable, awkward silence between my thoughts today because I haven't had my espresso. Because we lost our beloved espresso machine. Now, this is really a don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened scenario. Because, well, for one, we ordered a new espresso machine, so I'm going to be okay, guys. We will have it in a few days. But the main difference between the new espresso machine and our old one that just bit the bullet is that we paid for it. Yeah. We had the last espresso machine for, I want to say, like at least four, maybe even five years. And we found it on the curb outside our old apartment, uh, just north of Wrigleyville, because someone was throwing it out and it had a note on it like free to a good home barely used or whatever now my husband is a sucker for for this kind of stuff and i'm usually not but i mean this had to be like a 400 dollars plus espresso machine and we've always wanted one but it wasn't something that we were just gonna go out and drop that kind of money on especially at that point in our lives well we bring it in we clean it up we recalibrate it or whatever Dan does what he needs to do to make sure it's clean and safe and working. And sure enough, it works and looks good as new. And we have been happy little espresso drinkers ever since. Until yesterday, when the water just started coming out of some part that we didn't even know existed on it. And it is fair to say that we have we've just worn it out. And it has served its time in our lives. Are you a coffee drinker or an espresso drinker? I was a coffee drinker for a long time. I I guess I shouldn't say I grew up drinking coffee because I didn't have it until I was probably like 16. But my parents always drank coffee, always loved the smell of coffee, and I like genuinely love and appreciate the taste of coffee and good coffee. So I used to drink coffee. I actually remember like the first time that I realized the power of caffeine. I, yeah, I must have been 16 because I think I was a junior in high school and my parents went on a trip together or something. I think my dad went on a work trip and it was to some cool location. So my mom like went with him and they made a little vacation out of it. And I was in high school, but my siblings were a little bit younger in like grade school and middle school. And I think they went to stay with a family member or something, but I was doing a show at the time. And so I stayed in town with one of my friends and her family, one of my friends who was in the show. Uh, so, cause yeah, I think I didn't have my driver's license yet. Cause I didn't get my driver's license till I was 17. Not because I couldn't drive or because I was dumb because I was a big wuss, but also mostly because I was too involved in things. I was, wow, I'm really getting off topic here, but I <laughs> I didn't take driver's ed until my junior year of high school because you couldn't fit it into your schedule 
your sophomore year if you took band, choir, and a foreign language, which of course I did because I wanted to get into a good college and have a future. <laughs> so yeah, I, I didn't take driver's ed until my my junior year. And so I was I was like one of the youngest in my grade. So I had just turned 16 at the beginning of my junior year. Anyway, back to the point. We were doing the show. And I think the reason I was staying with my friend's family is because I did not yet have my driver's license. She did. She was driving us to rehearsals. Okay, so glad we cleared that up. The real point of this story being that her and her family did not drink coffee. And I remember that this was during the first time that I did Into the Woods because I remember I would come home from school, I would drink like half pot of coffee just because I liked it so much. I'm sure my mom didn't realize that I was like drinking that much coffee. And then I would go to, I, while I was like doing my homework and then I'd, I'd go to rehearsal. I had the worst caffeine crash of anyone's life, I think, that, that week that they went out of town or maybe it was just even a weekend where I didn't have coffee for, you know, a full 48 hours or more. And I was like, this is what drugs are. Drugs are real. Drugs are bad. And yeah, that was, that taught me a lot. It was a very developmental time in my life, clearly. Anyway, I was a coffee drinker for a long time until this little espresso machine showed up on our curb. And now I am an espresso snob. Another little known fact, though, is that I'm actually a certified barista. I'm Well, I'm not really sure if I technically am anymore, but yes, in her college days, she was a Starbucks barista, y'all. I got a job at Starbucks towards the end of my time in college because I was looking for a job that I could have to transfer me to New York City so that I could like have a job the day that I moved to New York City. Yeah, your girl had to hustle. So Starbucks hooked me up. They also like, you know, have relatively decent pay and benefits and all that, which I, I wasn't terribly worried about at that point in my life. But anyway, it was a it was a good option for me at the time. And I loved coffee, right? So I transferred to Starbucks in New York City and not just any Starbucks, but the Starbucks on 8th Avenue between 43rd and 44th. So basically right in the middle of Times Square. Mm. There's a lot that I could elaborate on. Uh, The baristas at Starbucks are responsible for everything from making the coffee, making that perfect pour over for you, operating all that fancy machinery, and cleaning the Times Square bathrooms. So... I like to uh, refer to that as the worst 38 days of my life until I, you know, found a new job and moved on. Nothing against Starbucks, but I think working in any kind of food service job in Times Square, I'm just going to leave the rest of that to your imagination. So back to espresso. What's the difference between espresso and coffee? Let me tell you. Certified barista here on call. The difference is in how you make it. So espresso is an Italian-style coffee that is brewed with high pressure and speed. You need an evenly fine grind size and a special machine to make espresso. In comparison, coffee is usually made by slowly filtering water through coffee grounds, you know. Technically, the same amount of espresso does have more caffeine than the same amount of coffee, but 
in their typical serving size, there is substantially more caffeine in an eight ounce cup of coffee than like a two ounce espresso espresso shot, which is like the standard serving size of that. So that's where you'll hear people say like, oh, there's actually more caffeine in coffee than espresso. Like they're they're not wrong. But espresso versus coffee doesn't have to be a competition, right? Some people swear espresso is the truest form of coffee while others just prefer like pour overs or your good old-fashioned Mr. Coffee. In the end, it is uh, mostly about the skill of your barista and and really gonna say more so on the quality of the beans and as always what you personally prefer. The thing that I do find interesting about espresso that I myself have experienced the benefits from that I want to share with you is is this it is better or like easier at least on your stomach the rule here is that the shorter the brewing time the more stomach friendly coffee is going to be because essentially it is the same thing it's just the way that it's like pulled from the coffee bean that is is different in its makeup and acidity so for that reason espresso despite being more like intense and strong in taste and and in appearance as well, it is better digestible than like filter coffee. So a cup of espresso can actually help your digestive cycle get get moving well. There's lots of studies that back this up that if you have troubles with digestion, that adding espresso into your routine might actually help. It has anti-inflammatory qualities and espresso might even keep you from feeling bloated or sick after a meal. Awesome. But truly, so glad my espresso machine didn't crap out on me until this weekend because I have been busy. Yeah. Last week, I attended two of the three games at Wrigley in the Cubs Cardinals series. I, I guess, co-hosted on a Chicago sports podcast called Baseball and Whatever. Had a great time catching up with Justin. He was on this show in our preseason NL Central preview a couple months ago right before the season started. Check that episode out if you haven't. Uh, it was awesome, and he gave us really good insight into what we can expect from the Cubs this season. Still very much holds up. But this week on Baseball and Whatever, we talked about the Cubs and Cardinals rivalry. You know we unpacked all that Contreras drama. And maybe most importantly, we did our rundown of the best boy band songs. Had some really good suggestions from you on those as well. I am going to elaborate here quickly on the five current MLB players that that I mentioned on that episode who would best make up a boy band because I I got to admit I really thought far too long and hard about this. So you know how if you compare InSync and the Backstreet Boys, there's clearly like the same formula used to make up that group of five guys. I'm sure all of the other boy bands that have like four or five guys in them have a, a similar dynamic. Like Justin and Nick are the same type. You know, Joey is AJ. You get it. So I really tried to use that logic to make up my current MLB player boy band, which consisted of Adley Rutschman, clearly our, our Justin Nick type, Lars Nupar is our J.C. Bryan type. Jazz Chisholm Jr. is your Joey or your A.J. We got George Springer as that Lance Howie guy. 
And Matt Carpenter, good old Matty Carp, is obviously the Chris or Kevin type. I personally think this is super fun and silly, so get at me with your MLB boy band. I'd love to hear it. I had, like, so many other players I could have filled in to those slots to fill each of those personas. But I'll share that YouTube link as well as the Spotify and the Apple Podcast audio for baseball and whatever in the show notes. They've always got a lot of good content uh, and fun stuff every week, so check that out. And then this morning, it is Monday, May 15th, as we speak. Not as you're listening. So <laughs> this morning, I w- it is, you know, it's welcome back, catcher Wilson Contreras Day is what it is. So I joined Susie Fulton on the Bourbon and Baseball podcast. She is an Astros fan and has so much fun and knowledgeable baseball content out there. So it was really fun to join her this morning to sync up on the baseball world and other fans' perspectives on what's going on with all this Cardinal stuff lately. And and that is a, a fun listen where you can hear me go go off and go on and on about how certain I am that Contreras is simply the latest scapegoat in the front office's charade to try and distract from the fact that their starting pitching philosophy is going to leave them dead in the water sooner rather than later. And that doesn't put you in a place to have much leverage in the trade and free agent market, but I digress. I promised myself that I wasn't going to go uh, into too much of that t- on today's episode since we've already talked about it a lot lately. So head over there and listen to that episode. YouTube link is in the show notes for you and show Susie some love over there. We're going to get her, her over here on Peace, Love, and Baseball soon enough. So on top of all that, I also went to a callback for a show that I auditioned for. And I don't share this to be like, oh, my God, look at me. I'm doing all this because, quite honestly, like, I probably didn't even get a cast in the show. But that's not the point. It's not why I'm sharing it. I'm committed to the process, to showing up, and really doing it and going through that process and showing up is the only way that I'm ever going to be comfortable and confident in any audition scenario. So that's that's what I'm doing. It's the only only way I'm ever going to be ready for the best opportunities to present themselves. So I'll share with you a little bit about that because it's kind of an interesting world and an interesting process. I mentioned to you last week how I was called back for like the old lady role. I mean, 40 to 60, whatever. I'm not 40 to 60. So to me, I'm like, oh my God, they think I'm an old lady. But I also know that that's my vibe. And I was called back for the role that I was meant for. Embraced it. Here for it honestly, so relieved because that role does not have to be a a superb dancer. We're not landing any triple turns here, no grand jetés, nothing, nothing too extensive. But I had to do the dance call anyway because there's a lot of shows like that where it's like there might be a, a handful of characters that don't Like, the dance requirement for them is not nearly as heavy or intense as some of the others. But you got to put everybody in the pool. You got to see what you got to be working with. And especially if it's only, like, you know, one or two of the characters where it's not as demanding for them. Unless they're, like, truly older people or, you know, there's some reason why you don't want to put them through that. You're like, well, might as well see what they got, you know? So, yeah, I had to uh, do the dance call with or the dances and it was even more intimidating because I was actually there 
I, I went on Friday as opposed to Thursday because I had a commitment on Thursday, couldn't go on Thursday. So I went on Friday, which was actually when all like the younger dancer people were there. So I wasn't even with the other people who would have been like more in my boat. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was a little nerve wracking. And I did I did the best I could with it. I actually I feel just fine about it. Absolutely feel like I represented my skill level well. I didn't break any bones or sprain any ankles. So that's a success. But you know, I really don't like doing things that I'm not good at. I really don't like doing things that I'm not great at. Who does? But you know, shockingly, I don't, I don't like talking about it either. Would you? Probably not. And that kind of brings me to my next point of discussion today. And that is, players are people too. Players are people too, you guys. Okay, my point here is actually less about like the way that we give shit to players and are hard on them when they don't do and say the things that we like want to see in here. But what it really all comes down to is that we're all doing the best we can. And that that does go for these guys too. As much as it is a part of their job, they are people. Just like you and I. Last week, we talked a little bit about Ted Lasso, and on the latest episode of season three of Ted Lasso, so it came out on May 10th, I believe, this past week, no, no spoilers, but there is a really powerful theme around having compassion for others, about how our perception of things can be so skewed based on the information or perhaps the lack of information that we might have about any given scenario. And, you know, my fave character, Roy Kent, he has a very compelling story about an instance that taught him about the importance of giving other people the benefit of the doubt. And that you never know what another person is going through at any given moment, whether it is in that moment in time or in the bigger picture of life. This is a discussion that we've got to be committed to constantly continuing to have because... We are in a world where we've become accustomed to things like instant gratification and being able to customize and curate so much to our liking that it pulls us further and further away from from each other and being willing to have that empathy and interest and understanding for one another. I actually find myself often like being like hypercritical of myself of being like, why does it take me so long to do this? Or like, why is this so hard for me? Like being a human is just like hard and it doesn't seem like it's hard for everybody else. But I I think it is hard (laughs) for everybody at one time or another. So again, it just, it makes us all more relatable to each other to, to be empathetic and to have those moments. Not to get too much specifically into the the pandemic but the pandemic I think in itself was such a huge example of that like we all had it rough one way or another but so much of it became like almost some kind of competition of like whose circumstances sucked the most or whatever instead of just like hearing each other out and recognizing that we're all going through something that can be just as valid as as another's anyway a very low-key example of this in the real world today is as I've spoken I think very lightly about how I have some like muscular dysfunction because of overuse misuse and alignment issues over the years that I've been in physical therapy for seen all kinds of doctors uh, acupuncture massage therapy I've tried it all uh and and honestly 
fitness and movement is the number one way that I am managing it and ultimately finding some some long-term relief and, and corrective exercise with it. But yeah, so the point is I'm in chronic pain. I've been in some level of pain on a scale of like three to eight all day, every day for the past seven years or so at this point. There is zero physical indication of of this pain that I have. And you would never look at me and think that anything is wrong with me or that I'm in pain. I am very fortunate that I do not have any kind of limited range of motion or mobility because of it. And even when I've like gone to doctors and the physical therapist or whatever, they're very, you know, confused by that uh, piece of it. And that's kind of what's part of what's taken so long to to kind of pinpoint it and figure out what's going on. But anyway, there are times where I can get really irritable and I even start judging myself like, bitch, why are you being such a bitch? And it's quite honestly likely because I'm in pain and it's really affecting me. So the other day I was talking to someone who was telling me about a customer that regularly comes into the place that he works and how she is like an energy suck an energy vampire. You know, we all know those people, right? She's always really negative. She insists that everyone cater to her in a way that, you know, ensures they are all inconvenienced, etc. I won't get into the specifics of it because it doesn't really matter. But the point is, because of my experience being in a state of chronic pain that no one can see, it has made me a little bit more empathetic to consider that that something like that and and quite likely something far beyond what I am, am dealing with, whether it be mentally, physically, or emotionally, you know, anyone else at any given day, in any given moment could be dealing with something like that too. So of course I was like, yeah, I hear you. Like that sucks. It's, it's can be really hard to be around those types of people or when people are in that headspace, regardless of how much compassion that you have, when the exchange of energy is so negative, it's rough. It can be really draining. But when I proposed the idea to him that perhaps this woman was dealing with, you know, any number of whether it be health issues or dealing with chronic pain, I mean, who knows, right? That could certainly be contributing to the way that she acts and the things that she demands and so on. I'm not saying that there is an excuse for treating others poorly. That's not at all the point here. But as soon as my friend who was venting about this to me considered that this woman had something bigger going on here than like just being a Debbie Downer and an energy vampire, it changed his perspective on how like he might go about responding to her and even the energy that it might take from him in that situation with her if he can instead come from a place of compassion rather than, you know, being annoyed and letting that energy be sucked from him. It can be really challenging to lead with compassion in a lot of scenarios. People don't make it easy. I'm certainly not saying that. But if we can start there, we really can't go wrong. The story that Roy Kent delivers in the latest episode of Ted Lasso and the story that plays out alongside it between a couple of the other characters does a really good job with this topic. So I recommend that to you. And you know I'm going to tie this back to baseball Again, this is a very basic and rather low-stakes example of a much bigger point here. I think you'll catch on to it. So I made a joke on Twitter that Sarah Ann and I were going to go full-on Chris Crocker on YouTube in Jack Flaherty's defense. Leave Jack alone. Just leave him 
alone. But I don't really think I need to do that. And I'll just say this. After Jack's last start against the Cubs, the media was inquiring, as they do, about many things, but particularly about the velocity on his fastball because it had noticeably fluctuated. And this is a very typical thing that the media would inquire about with a pitcher after a game. These sorts of things are the things we want to ask about and hear about, of course. You can look up the clip for the full coverage and you can see exactly what Jack said and how he reacted and his tone and all of that. But what you really need to know is that he was a little, he was a little snappy. He was. He said he wasn't going to answer questions about that. He said something along the lines of the writers didn't understand the art of pitching. He had his sassy pants on for sure. It wasn't my favorite look ever for Jack. It was not. And I am sure that Jack would be the first to tell you that, you know, he could have handled, could have handled that better. Mm-hmm. But of course, you know, Twitter explodes with all the takes and all the name calling of Flaherty. Okay, first of all, name calling is lame. It's immature under all circumstances. So there's that. I'm just glad we got that out of the way. Come on. Jack Flaherty is not a bad person because he had a less than stellar moment with the media. It wasn't like he was super rude or like called them names or anything. I mean, he was in a situation where he didn't feel like getting into the nitty gritty of another frustrating performance. Can you imagine being in his shoes for just a second? First of all, you literally can't. I certainly can't. The mental toughness that it takes to handle the pressure to even get to the level at which they are working is not something I can even pretend to be familiar with. I'm amazed by it and have so much respect for professional athletes on a daily basis simply because of that. So all we can really try to put into perspective here would be to say like, okay, the next time that you fail on a project at work or you get off a customer call that you know you didn't handle as well as you could have, or my performers out there, you hit a bad note on stage or you forget your lyrics or you trip and fall, you know, I'd like you to call me up so I can shove my little mini microphone in your face and have you break it all down for me and we will just see how that feels and how you handle it. I'm kidding. I, I don't want to put you through that. Listen, I couldn't agree more that Jack has to deal with those situations better and it's not a great look, but we got to give, we got to give our guy a break. We all have our moments. He has been dealing with injuries and disappointment with so much potential and expectation on him that he has not been able to follow through on for years. He's doing the best he can to manage all of those emotions, expectations he has on him and for himself. He's not a jerk just because he didn't have the finest moment that happened to be caught on camera. I'm not saying that Jack is even dealing with anything exceptional that we don't know about other than the obvious that we just stated at this point, which is already plenty of pressure and frustration, as we discussed. But let's offer everyone some compassion. Why don't we? If we could all lead and live with this in mind, oh, what a world it would be. It is a constant conversation and a work in progress for sure, because I'm certainly not always you know, walking through life being like, that person wasn't out to get me or 
man, what, you know, like I have those same thoughts and same sights on in a lot of scenarios that I'm, I'm talking about right now. So that's why, you know, it's important that we're having discussion around it and we're challenging ourselves to, to lead from a place of compassion and with this, really this headspace, right? It's, it's a constant conversation, it's a constant work in progress. But one person that I know who really leads by example with this and always puts good perspective on it for me is my father-in-law, Bob. It also happens to be his birthday today. So happy birthday to you, Bob. And thank you for always reminding us to consider that we are all doing the best with what we've got. Next time you're in a really frustrating scenario with someone and you just can't make sense of it, take a step back, take a deep breath, and remind yourself that we're all doing the best we can with what we've got. Another one of my favorite people who also happens to be one of the most considerate, judgment-free, and supportive people that I know has a birthday today. Clearly a really good day to be born. Yes, a big supporter of this podcast. And that is Sir Wesley McKinney. Yes, the Wesley McKinney of Validity. Peace, Love, and Baseball is brought to you by Validity. Are you a fan of indie pop rock with a touch of Ben Folds, Mika, and Jukebox the Ghost? Then you gotta check out Validity. Validity is the musical project by the talented vocalist and instrumentalist Wesley McKinney. His latest album is called Indivisible, and it is now streaming on Spotify, Apple Music, and wherever you listen. Gotta check it out for some upbeat melodies and catchy lyrics. I was just telling Wes when I was with him earlier this week that this song that is playing underneath us right now gets stuck in my head. I mean, just by the time I get it out of my head, I play it again here and it's it's in my head all over again. Catchy as hell. Love it. Can't wait to hear his newest tune that should be coming out soon because what makes Validity truly special is Wes's ability to seamlessly blend all of his passions from music, his love of baseball, creativity, fitness, friendships. He's not just a musician. He's a well-rounded artist who knows how to stay active and stay inspired. So whether you're going to that kickball league game after work or maybe you're hitting up the gym, maybe taking a long drive and just need something to keep you alert and keep you feeling good, Validity has something for you. Tune into his music and let Wesley McKinney take you on a journey of self-discovery and fun. Don't miss out. Stream Indivisible today. Happy birthday, Wesley. It is so impressive that you have turned 29 now for the sixth time. I can only hope to do the same. And I love you for many reasons, but none less than you're always older than me. So thanks for that. Hopefully the Cardinals don't let Wilson Contreras screw everything up for Wes's birthday. And he has a great day. Okay, last but not least, we're going to talk about on the field and or in the dugout celebrations uh, in sports to wrap up today. So shout out to Dennis on Twitter for this topic request, and it's a good one. It's very relevant in baseball right now. So we're seeing a lot more of it than we have, you know, maybe in years past or in different ways. So Dennis suggests that we chat about curbing the antics, as in going too far when hitting a home run. He says, football did it and you look like a jerk with no class. Now, I'm all for fun in the game. You know me. But Dennis has a point. 
I don't watch a lot of football, so I asked my husband about this, and I found out that there used to be like more strict restrictions and fines around on-the-field celebrations in football. And then in 2017, apparently they loosened up those restrictions a bit. So per NFL.com, in a letter to fans from good old Commissioner Roger Goodell, uh, the NFL said it wants to allow players more room to have fun after they make big plays. (laughs) Roger Goodell spoke with more than 80 current and former NFL players about relaxing the rules on celebrations. He's quoted as saying, We know that you love the spontaneous displays of emotion that come after a spectacular touchdown. And players have told us they want more freedom to be able to express themselves and celebrate their athletic achievements. So there's the reasoning behind it. Really, what's allowed and what's not is there's still definitely some gray area there. But what's allowed is like using the football as a prop after a touchdown. You can celebrate on the ground. You can celebrate with a group demonstration. But the the relaxed rules are not a free-for-all by any means, so no offensive demonstrations, no celebrations that are prolonged and delay the game. There's penalties for that as well as fines in some scenarios. Uh, celebrations cannot be directed at an opponent. Those are all things that will still be penalized one way or another. And the letter says, you know, it cites specifically about keeping the celebration celebrations in the sense of good sportsmanship, clean competition, and of course setting a good example for young athletes. Mm. Cool, cool. Okay, but the point is that there is like no clear line here and it's really up to the officials to determine like what's cool and what's not. And to put it succinctly, I think that's the thing. There's a fine line between what might be fun and and what makes you look like a jerk. I believe that fine line can be somewhat defined in baseball anyway by the two types of celebrations that we are seeing more of these days. So you see things on the base paths, right? Like, and and maybe sometimes from the player to the dugout, the dugout to the player, like the pepper grinder, the salt shaker, the Will Vita arms, if you will. It's more of like a, a rally cry, almost like a a golf clap, you know, the poly D horns, a show of camaraderie, and a shot of energy through the team. So something like this comes off very differently, at least to me, than, you know, wearing a crown of sorts in the dugout after any and every home run, or, you know, having some special prop that's going around. And uh, David Sampson, former president of the Miami Marlins, who hosts the Nothing Personal podcast, spoke about this recently from like the owner or team president perspective and he was saying that the thing that like really kind of irritates him about it is like when your team is down like 11 to 3 and they hit a solo home run and it's still 11 to 4 and you're like celebrating (laughs) by putting the big crown on or the viking helmet or whatever it may be it's like it's not a great celebration and it's not something that the owner wants to see celebrated at that point the other point that my husband brought up is that this the sense of like having that kind of a celebration whether it is like post touchdown or after home run is that it really sends the signal to your your body and your mind like mentally and physically that you're done you've like made it to the top of the mountain so to speak and you know that's just not the mental energy that you want 
your team to give off or any one of your players to give off mid-game under any circumstance. So yeah, I, I think this is a really interesting topic, and I'm sure it doesn't surprise anyone that the Cardinals do not have any kind of a costume or or dugout antics around home runs, and they never will. Wait to see. <laughs> the base path, the rally signal, and like the team-based kind of pump each other up stuff is much more their style, and I, I can appreciate that. It will be interesting to see if MLB puts any regulations on it as it continues to transpire, but that's my take. My take is that it is received and welcomed when it is camaraderie-based, and it makes you look like like a jerk when it's ego-based. The end. It also kind of made me think about, um, (laughs) so when Wes and I were at the Cubs-Cardinals game at Wrigley this past week, we went to uh, the last game of the series, which they lost, and we were with two Cubs fans who – you know, in the, in the spirit of fun, I suppose, would not let us leave and walk out of the stadium uh, when that song starts to play. I guess if you haven't been to Wrigley Field, maybe you don't know. Man, if you somehow are unaware of the Go Cubs Go song, good for you. You want to talk about catchy as hell. God. Anyway, I've never seen Wes McKinney more angry, and I, I don't think I ever will, than when that song plays. At, at Wrigley Field, particularly they are playing the Cardinals. So we want to get the hell out of Dodge. And, you know, they were like, no, we're not letting you go anywhere. You're going to hang out here and stay with us and dance to the song. So we made up some choice other words to it, and we had our fun. But it, this kind of makes me think of that because I think one of the things that's, like, so irritating about it is that they play the song and they act like they – they won, you know, game seven of the World Series every time they win a game. And I guess you got to do that when you only win a World Series every every 108 years. I'm not trying to be too brutal here, but <laughs> I guess that that's kind of coming back to that home run celebration. It's like we got players who are going to hit 30, 40, 60 home runs in a season, and not every one of them is going to be a game-changing home run and all the players that we love the most and respect the most and really are the most successful for their teams are not the kind of players who are going to celebrate a solo shot when they're down by six or seven runs. And again, nothing wrong with that. Happy for the guy. But on what level is appropriate to to celebrate in-game, you know? So, Dennis, thank you for that. I think that was a really good topic, a nice point of conversation for today, and I'd love to hear if anyone has any specific thoughts on that. That's my take. All right, well, you know, I got some uh, some Brewers and Cardinals baseball to watch. What games are you most looking forward to this week? I, think we, I know we have a lot of Cardinal fans here, but I'm hoping we have uh, some wide range of baseball fans as well. I want you to head on over to Twitter. Wish a very happy birthday to Wesley McKinney. I will send all of your birthday wishes to my father-in-law who's not on Twitter or really social media at all, but send him your well wishes as well. And have a great week, guys. I'm looking forward to some exciting stuff coming up, so make sure that you 
are subscribed, following the podcast, whether it be on Apple Podcasts and or on Spotify. We can see the subscribers on Spotify, so every time I get another one, it's always really exciting. Something to feel good about, to know that you're in on the conversation and along for the ride with us. I'm, I'm excited about some guests that we have coming up. If you're not already following the Crying in Baseball account on Twitter and on Instagram, we've got three fiery ladies who I can't wait for you to meet who are putting together some really fun content that looking forward to seeing, hearing, engaging with. So we've got them on an upcoming episode. We're almost a third of the way through the season. So we're going to do a nice third, third of the way of the season recap. Of course, we've got some good stuff around the, the London series coming up. So make sure that you are subscribed, that you are following, all that good stuff. And if you would feel so inclined to leave a review, hit that five stars. I love you for it. Have a wonderful week full of peace, love, and baseball. And I'll see you next week. Bye.